Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase Today. Visit Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. A couple of years back, a guy gets into a cab in the city of Halifax, and he says, take me to Subway Sandwich Shop. They get there. The guy says to the cabbie, wait for me a minute. He goes in. Comes back a few minutes later without any food. He says, you know what, actually, take me to the other Subway Sandwich Shop. Same thing happens again. He goes in, comes back, no food. After the third Subway, he says, okay, take me to a McDonald's. Goes into the McDonald's, comes back without any food, says, take me to the gas station. It turns out he has been robbing these joints. <laughs> one by one. And using the taxi cab as his getaway car. So now the cops are just pulling over cabs all over Halifax. After he robs the gas station, the guy says to the cabbie, take me to this convenience store. And that's where the cops get him. They arrest the cabbie too. But they let the cabbie out hours later after they are satisfied that he had no idea <laughs> that he was unwittingly the getaway driver for a crime spree. Uh, so here's where the story takes a dark turn. Before the cops, if we rewind back before they caught the suspect, uh, they're still 
pulling over taxis and, and looking for this, this robber in a taxi cab. And while they're searching Halifax for their suspect, a cop notices a suspiciously parked taxi at Atlantic and Brussels, a desolate intersection behind the grain elevators. Cop approaches this cab, and inside he finds a half-naked and unconscious woman in the back seat, and a cabbie with his buckle undone trying to hide the woman's underwear and pants. Tests later reveal the cabbie has her DNA on his mouth and that the woman is very intoxicated, three times the legal driving limit. So that was a couple of years ago in May 2015, and it's just now that in direct contradiction to what seemed like pretty clear Supreme Court precedents, Halifax Judge Gregory Lenahan said that clearly a drunk can consent and found Kabi Bassam al-Rawi not guilty of sexual assault. National outcry currently against this judge. And it turns out that this is the same judge who once kicked a woman out of his courtroom for breastfeeding, same judge who ruled in a controversial case against one of the classmates of Retea Parsons who uh, was circulating sexually explicit photographs of her. Uh, It was linked to all of these controversial cases and incidents. So now people across the country are demanding a review of the conduct of this judge, this Justice Lenahan. So who handles that? Complaints against the judge. That would be Nova Scotia's office of the chief judge. Who is the chief judge? It's the judge's (laughs) ex-wife. Justice uh, Pamela Williams. Okay, like we could talk about a lot of things based on that narrative. We could talk about, and we should talk about, sexual assault and the courts, and we could talk about this, this, what seems to be now a trend in Canada of judges who seem to have prehistoric notions about consent that are not necessarily in line with the law itself. We can talk about the robberies, which would make for an excellent opening scene in a Tarantino movie. Uh, we could talk about how it seems like everybody in this city seems to be everyone else's uncle. And I I hope to talk about all those things in time, but that's not really what we're here to talk about tonight. What I'm here to talk about tonight is how strange it is that though I've heard aspects of these stories and isolated parts of those stories, and of course the story about the sexual assault recently in the news, I haven't heard it all together like that, that insane narrative, until uh, Tim Bousquet told it all to me yesterday. And it it occurred to me, well, the first thing that occurred to me is, you all have some stories out here. Which is an interesting thing to contrast with the other thing I keep hearing about Atlantic Canada, which is that this is the worst place in the country for journalism, that you have here in Halifax the worst newspaper in the country, uh, that, that the Chronicle Herald uh, going on 400 days and counting of uh, its strike, in its strike, the work that's being done is so error-ridden and substandard. But it's not just here in Halifax, whether we're talking about the Irvings or media concentration, transcontinental, the legacy media scene in Atlantic Canada frequently comes up and has for decades as atrocious. Uh, while there will find people working within it, everything from a Senate committee hearing into the state of things here to the current day, uh, all I hear is that it's never been worse. And yet, and yet, there is sort of this proliferation of, of hopeful upstarts. And some of them are here in this room. Maureen from Kukukwes, are, are you here? Right here. Um, All Nova Scotia, are you here? 
They wouldn't tell you if they were. Uh, you have your own flavor for some reason of Frank Magazine in this city. Frank Magazine. Okay. There is uh, the Independent in Newfoundland. Uh, and of course, there is the Halifax Examiner. And yes. And before I go any further, I should disclose that I support both Kukukwes and the Examiner. So, what are we to make of the state of things here? Is this the sign of hope that the rest of Canada should look to is what happens when the dinosaurs die, we have wonderful new things happen, or is this actually just the shittiest place for journalism in all of Canada? We're gonna find out. We have an incredible panel. We have Tara Tyur, who has worked in journalism for her entire career, uh, CBC Halifax for 10 years. Today she is an assistant professor of journalism at the University of King's College. She's also on the board of directors for the Canadian Association of Journalists and for CKDU-FM Radio. Full disclosure. And of course, we have the publisher of the Halifax Examiner and the winner of the 2013 Don McGillivray Award for investigative reporting, Tim Bousquet. And we are recording to tape live here in Halifax. Thank you very much for being here. We will be back with our panel in a moment. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Jessica Avery, Tal Henderson, Joel, Matthew Lewis, Ian Knauer, Jeff Siskind, Adam Huizinga, and James Covey. James, are you here? Can you, can, James. James. Why did you decide to be awesome? Uh, because the way that Canada Land creates and expands important conversations about our media and politics and culture uh, makes me think, makes me laugh, and yeah, makes me want to do my little bit to keep it happening. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. 
We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. And guys, this episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. You guys know about FreshBooks? People of Halifax, it is tax season. What are you thinking? You need FreshBooks if you are a sole proprietor, a freelancer. If you're running a small business, you would be insane not to use FreshBooks. It is super, super stupid easy. It saves you time, it gets you paid quicker, and it gets you back to your job. Check out FreshBooks.com. It makes tax time a breeze. And if anything that I'm saying right now means anything to you, if you're curious at all, why not just check it out? You can try it out for free for 30 days. You don't have to give them a credit card. But when you do become a customer, tell them that Canada Land sent you. You'll be doing the show a favor. Getting beyond the list of who's operating, what am I to make of these cries for help that I hear? When I hear that the Chronicle Herald is the shittiest newspaper in Canada and that it's hard for people to care because it wasn't so great before the strike. When I, when I hear that the Irvings create newspapers that will never say much negative about the Irvings and besides that, people are very critical of. When I hear that media consolidation is such a problem in Atlantic Canada and has been a problem for a long time, but add to that the layoffs, add to that the shrinking, the picture, and I am not saying this from any kind of first-hand newsreader experience, but the conception I have from talking to people and from reading about this is that this is the worst time for legacy news in Atlanta, Canada. It is a bad time. Absolutely. It is a bad time. I mean, what's happening at the Herald really is a blight on journalism in the province. I think anyone who, is, uh, who cares about news, who cares about journalism would say that, right? You have dozens of news people out on the picket line. What you lose is that institutional memory. You lose all those people who not only reported, but, but had beats, right? They're the ones who worked their contacts. They're the ones who went to court. They're, they're, they're doing that constantly. We don't have that anymore. So you do, you do feel that. The other thing is you don't know what that you're missing at all. So there is that. But what we are seeing is, you know, with Halifax Examiner, you know, Tim faithfully goes to City Hall. The Coast, right? The Coast, his uh, Jacob Boone, you know, he's still doing a lot of City Hall coverage. We're seeing, again, some people step in. We still all also have, remember, CBC. We've got Global. We've got CTV. So for Halifax, a city of this size, I'd say we're doing pretty good, especially when you compare city like um, Halifax to western cities, like Edmonton, for example. And something that came up when I was uh, talking to Parker Donham about the state of the, the Chronicle Herald, we've done a number of stories talking about this strike and what's management's game here how could they let this go so long? It seems obvious that they're trying to break the union. And this suggestion kind of came up in, in, in that conversation and others that the newsreader might not care or even notice. That management doesn't care about the quality because this is primarily a method of delivering flyers and whatever advertisements they can still sell within. And to your average newsreader subscriber, the newspaper still shows up. It looks like a newspaper. It smells like a newspaper. What is the sense of retail satisfaction or discontent with what they're getting? I don't know what their numbers are, but I still see it around. I can go to restaurants, I can go to hotels, and I will still see copies of the Chronicle Herald around the province. So it is still, it's still whether it's being read, it still shows up in places around the province. Tim, I, I have a working hypothesis with no evidence to back it up. 
tell me if you will uh, support or be an enemy to this theory. Essentially, I feel like the worse the old stuff gets, the better the new stuff will do. And I'm wondering if the reason why Atlantic Canada seems to stand out in the number of digital upstarts and the fact that a good number of them, including your own and all Nova Scotia, which I understand has a staff of what? how many people? 20. 20 people. Yeah. It's not something that we see in, in other provinces. Is there a relationship between, if, if we buy the idea that legacy media is not serving the market well here, do you feel like that creates an opportunity for you? Might that explain why some of these new companies oh, are, are I, here? I, I agree. Yes. I think, I think if, <laughs> if you step back and look at the, the industry in North America, it wasn't that long ago. When I was living in California, the local daily was making 25% annual profits. Hand over fist, it was just a money machine. Here in Nova Scotia, because there was, there's essentially only one uh, newspaper, you know, the Chronicle Herald, and the towns have their transcon papers, but there's one provincial newspaper. It's dominated the scene for 100 years. It's frankly so crappy. Lots and lots of people, probably most people, get the paper not because of some big investigative article. They get it for the crossword puzzle, the pseudo-coup, the sports coverage, the, the art stuff. And all that stuff's important. I'm not belittling that. But we can do away with all that stuff and still have a, a good um, watchdog journalism doing that, that role of, of being the democratic institution in society that's independent of government. We can do that without newsrooms of hundreds and hundreds of people. And so now, when the Chronicle Herald is falling apart, there's lots of opportunity, sure. And I think we're on the cutting edge of that here. It's, it's a cutting edge that looks, how do I put this? When I look at some of the independent news sites that are actually charging and making money, they're actually staying alive here in Atlantic Canada. Some of them have been around for a long time, in digital terms, eons. Uh, without being rude, and I'm in no position to make this particular criticism, really, they're ugly sites. Um, Like, they are, you know, bare bones. It's not the slickest social media optimized uh, delivery. A lot of it is like raw text without pictures, and people are paying for this. And I've often thought about this when I look at some sites that have been around since, you know, the big, like Drudge Reporter, like sites that just refuse to change like their bare bones delivery, that they're almost prioritizing like no bells and whistles, this is the information, you're paying us for the information. That doesn't tell us something, you know, I've seen the future and it's ugly. Can you talk a little bit about, like it's almost like you guys have this Galapagos Island happening here of successful digital news where it's like everybody else can talk all they want about sponsored content and video this and how to optimize and data journalism. But if you have communities that just don't have access to good information and you sell them that information, it doesn't have to look pretty. Does that sound right? For one thing, looks don't matter. Right. So, you know, look, all Nova Scotia has been very successful and expanded into Newfoundland last year, where it now has four reporters there. We're talking about reporters who um, make enough to live. Right. Buy houses. That's a successful model. And the people who have subscriptions to all Nova Scotia do it because they need that information. It's not just a matter of, oh, yeah, let's see what this cat video is because I can get that anywhere. But it, it really is. This is, I need to know what's happening in the business scene in this city. And that information is worth paying for. Yeah, I, I can just 
speak for myself. I don't know what's in the head of other people running other media operations, but I kind of have a disdain for that, uh, you know, the whole SEO world and how to optimize hits to your site and uh, all that stuff. I just want to do my job. I don't, I don't really give a shit about all that stuff. I believe that it was uh, all Nova Scotia leading the applause there. I didn't even call them out by name. Um, that's really rude of you. How, how dare you. Yeah. I know that you have this, this uh, it's anathema to you, all of this, uh, this slick social media talk, but, but here's the thing, and, and you can actually kind of talk about this in a wider context than just sites, independent news sites that are paywalled up. The Brunswick news sites have hard paywalls. And a lot of that leads to my sense of just mystery as to what's happening in your news scene. The impact that your stories have, the ability for them to be picked up, for them to proliferate, for good or for ill, and I would say that if you're in the business of informing the public, it's, it, there's a, a big argument that it's for the good. We can make information travel really quickly from news organization to news organization across the country and across the world quite rapidly. So to whatever degree the job is to get the widest impact possible, are you sacrificing that impact in exchange for a working business model? Well, if God forbid we have a you know someone shooting cops um, as was happening in Moncton, the Halifax Examiner's response would be to make it public. Can you tell pa- people why you're referencing that specific story? Uh, because the the Irving paper in Moncton and I had there was an active shooter loose in the neighborhood, and they were putting police reports and descriptions of this guy behind their paywall. So if you want to find out if the killer is on your street, you're like fumbling for your credit card. Right. Yeah, we talked about this on a recent episode. I mean, this is when paywalls go really wrong. Right. And I I make a judgment with every story over whether it should be behind the paywall or not. And if it is behind the paywall, how long it's behind the paywall. You know, people are paying, so they should get a premium of, of some sort of some sort of exclusivity. And, um, I mean, that's the business model. So. Yeah. And, and yours isn't the, the hardest paywall. There's some of your content is available or snippets. Yeah. And- the, the idea when I started, and it's evolved a bit, but was that there would be a morning post every morning that's free to the world. It's kind of a, a news collation sort of thing. And then through the day, there would be things behind the paywall. And I'm working on three years in now, and, and that vision is starting to come to fruition. Here's what's interesting to me. The situation that we're watching flourish here is like, you know, something that I've often speculated should be happening elsewhere. Let a thousand experiments bloom. Let individual journalists start up one-person shops, identify a hole in the mainstream coverage and fill it and specialize. And that seems to be, if I look at Guguas or if I look at, there's a specificity to what all Nova Scotia is doing, the kind of stories that they're reporting. No one seems to be trying to replace your daily morning paper that has a digest of all the news you need to know. Though you have a little bit of that. It seems like there is a little sense of here's what's going on in town today. What do we get when we have this, this atomized, fragmented situation? It seems like there's a need for some almost consortium, like put together... 20 or 100 different independent efforts and you've got a hell of a newspaper. Yeah, and and that's sort of a long-term vision of mine. I'm I'm nowhere near uh, achieving that. But what I'd like to see is down the road uh, there be enough of these independent voices around the province and around the uh, Maritimes where we can start having some sort of sharing, sort of horizontal network. Uh, So not that anyone owns anything. But, you know, I've, I've been around a little bit longer than, than some of the newest startups, and 
I would like to be able to give advice and maybe platform space and, and share some resources like my admin person and things like that to help them along without having an ownership stake or a boss stake or any of that in these new things and, and just help this whole industry along a bit. Create some kind of a, of a co-op or some yeah. kind of a consortium. Yeah. Right. Tara, having worked at CBC, can you talk about CBC's role? I know that in New Brunswick, they're pretty much the only game in town for holding the Irvings to account, and, and Jacques Poitras reporting there and That's others. Right. Is the CBC in Atlantic Canada facing the pinch? Uh, it seems like now CBC has got more resources than they did. Uh, well, they certainly have more resources mm -hmm. than they did a year ago, and before that, all we heard was layoffs, layoffs, layoffs. Is it healthy, and how are they doing? I think... In Atlantic Canada, it's doing pretty good. I mean, I'd like to point out that a lot of what you know about the sexual assault involving the, um, the taxi driver, who was acquitted, I should know, came from CBC reporting. So, you know, that's going on. And what, a lot of what we're seeing at the CBC is kind of reshuffling internally, right? So it's not like they're opening up you know, a bureau here and there. They're not at the South Shore or anything, but it's sort of in internal changes. You look at a place like PEI, you look at Labrador, you look at places where the, the, the CBC is absolutely key to those communities. You uh, teach at King's, and the journalism program there is well regarded. I met, uh, had the opportunity to meet a lot of your students today. First of all, how can you live with yourself teaching at a journalism school in this day and age? <laughs> Quite well, because I'm not producing widgets. <laughs> you know, they're human beings where we're teaching journalism, we're teaching research, interviewing, critical thinking, writing, multimedia, all these wonderful things that people can do, use those skills and apply them however they want. And the thing is, it has always been the case. If they want to go to work for a digital marketing company, they can. They want to go to law school, they can. So seriously, I tell my students, look, you know, I teach resourcefulness is what I do. And if you choose to work in a newsroom, you know, pursue that, that's up to you. I've met a bunch of them today. I think you're training a wonderful next generation of PR professionals. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm doing this. I was just like supposed to be an offhand joke. No, it's, there's nothing wrong with teaching journalism. I should shut up. Um, what are you noticing about how that's flowing? Like, are people just here to pick up the skills, take them elsewhere? Are people sticking around? What is the sense of opportunity with people when they leave? I know that there's an internship program. Is it drying up? What are you getting from that, you know, people just entering the field? Uh, the interesting shift, really, for internships has been to a lot more uh, independence. So I know, Tim, you've taken an, an intern of ours. Maureen Gugu is taking an intern this year. Um, and we just have a lot of um, students who go to far-off places and go to, you know, news, smaller news publications that I have never heard of. And I'm always learning about new ones. And I'm very impressed most of the time. So I find uh, they're, you know, the students are finding things that they're interested in doing and they're pursuing those interests. Tim, you hired any interns yet? I don't have one right now, but yes, and, and I do pay the interns, yes. Um, uh, but uh, I mean, you know, that's a foundational tenet of the health hacks examiner is that people that work for the examiner get paid well. And that's, um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm actually looking for the right intern right now for a project. I don't have one right now. I'll okay. find one for you. 
I think our organizations are in competition for. <laughs> I want to return to this idea uh, of of the, the retail newsreader and broaden it out from from the you know the Chronicle Herald's uh, subscription base. I feel like we can get really insular when we talk about the industry and what's happening within it. We can get high-minded about the great things that we can do when we have big scoops or important civic-minded journalism. News is something that everybody used to get a newspaper every morning. And Atlantic Canada has a reputation for being uh, great storytellers and really civic-minded and people who are always talking about what's happening in their communities. I just want to know if, if, if we can go kind of broad on this. And, and I don't think that there's going to be a... a this, a widespread solution to these problems unless we can somehow communicate to the, the greater public the value of the work that, that you do. How is that going? Is it getting through? Is, is there anything, you know, I, I sense in a, in a wider context following what happened with the U.S. election, people are like, oh, maybe I got to pay for real news if I want real news. Number of subscribers to the Halifax Examiner has doubled since the election of Donald Trump. You in the New York Times, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I hope it shows in the amount of stuff we're publishing. But yeah, people are starting to understand it. And this is what I tell myself all the time is the Halifax Examiner or any other startup is not going to replace the Chronicle Herald. The Chronicle Herald is this whole laundry list of things, important, worthy endeavors. You know, the, the bright spot at the Chronicle Herald for the last decade has been their arts coverage gone now uh, with Stephen Cook and the rest of the crew on strike. Was that applause for <laughs> the destruction of the arts coverage or for Stephen Cook? We'll but, clarify later. But also sports and all that. And the Halifax Examiner uh, or any other online site is not going to be able to replace arts and sports coverage and, and those sort of things. Uh, what we can do is do that advocacy journalism, do the do the investigative work. And it doesn't take a huge crew to do that. Chronicle Herald never had a huge crew doing that work. Tara? Well, I think we still do a poor job of telling people what's involved with committing an act of journalism, right? So I talk a lot to academics, entrepreneurs, bloggers, people who are just producing content of some sort. And there's two things that they're always bowled over about. One is when I explain to them what's involved with doing a story. So let's just take, for example, a story that you might do, anyone else in the city, you gotta go to the courthouse, you gotta get the document, you gotta research, you know, do background on this, you gotta you know, track people down, you have to interview them. Then you have to write the piece, which is probably going to be copy edited, hopefully, and proofread. You're going to make some more calls. You're just going to do this, and then you're going to keep you know, moving that forward, right? So every day you're doing this. And people are always surprised when they find out the work that goes into this. The second thing that astonishes people is that journalism exists under a framework, right? There, most people do not understand the editorial, ethical, and legal guidelines that we all work under. And when I explain that to people, they will say, wow, I really had no idea. Can I throw out some numbers? Yeah, I, I read a statement recently showing that uh, online advertising per impression, per thousand impressions, brings $8. That's for the New York Times. For a very well-read New York Times article that's spread internationally, they'll make through advertising, online advertising on it, they'll make $100. That's a non-starter. First of all, I'll never have a global audience online, anything remotely close to what the New York Times has. And the cost for an article can run anywhere 
from $200 to $1,000 to produce. So if this is going to work, people have to pony up some money for it. And I think people are understanding that if they want this kind of journalism, they've got to pay for it. I think that's becoming increasingly clear that the, the, if there is a future for news, it's paid content. Yeah. And people are starting to get that. Can I get a big round of applause for our panelists? Everybody, we are going to take four questions. Four questions at this microphone. Hello, my name is Tom Saunders. I would like to ask if there has been some talk about the sort of social good of journalism, as well as the benefits that good journalism provides to everybody, even if it's behind a paywall, or maybe the marketing strategy or niche for that kind of journalism isn't exactly working. So is it time for journalism journalists to together advance a different model for funding their social good that they're providing to everybody? How about you, hey. Tim? Do you want government subsidy? I don't want government subsidy. I, w I would fear that. But it, I think there's some, some things that the government could do. Uh, they could change tax laws to allow uh, foundations to invest in uh, nonprofit investigative journalism outfits like like happens in in the US uh, that's not allowed here in Canada uh, I'd like to see that outside of that I, I am wary of, of tax schemes or rebate schemes or uh, you know funding government funding for for media uh, we're supposed to be watching those guys and when you're when your your paycheck depends on them sure well, I think we're going to see a lot of changes in the next couple of years. Right now, there have been a number of uh, reports sort of and reviews of the media industry in Canada. And one of them, uh, what was it, Shattered Mirror, that Edward Greenspawn led, um, basically came up with a bunch of options. One of them is like going after Google and Facebook, really. Yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> and other things, like creating an innovation fund. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the possibility of an innovation fund, yeah. Thank you for that question. Next. Hi, um, my name is Grace, and my question is, do you think that young journalists or writers have to or perhaps should leave the Atlantic region to get experience? Sounds like one for Tara. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the more, more experience you have, um, I'm very fortunate. I'm from Alberta, and I've worked all over the north. And I, of course, have been here now for the last, I think, 15 years. But I consider all of that experience, and I just think generally it makes me just a better journalist and helps me, you know, do journalism. May I offer a contrary take? <laughs> Please. Uh, I think that this used to be the way that we brought new, new people into the industry. It's kind of a time-honored, when, when there's such a thing as a journalism industry, going out to the regions, going out to small communities. That's how you make your bones. And there was a system of apprenticeship that served a lot of people really well, and then you kind of work your way to the big market. Okay, that was a path that was established. I actually feel like that is so broken that if you are learning how to do journalism and you happen to be here in Halifax where there's sort of a strange number of proliferating startups, you may be better served than going to some small community where they might have had four working journalists 10 years ago and now there's one. I don't know if those jobs exist in those small communities anymore. And in fact, when I think about all of these small upstarts here in Atlantic Canada, 
it almost feels like a healthier scene than in Toronto. Uh, hi, my name is Keith, and um, we hear constantly, particularly in the context of the conservative leadership debate, uh, calls to defund the CBC. And obviously there are certain places where private media can survive and thrive, as we see with the Examiner and this kind of thing. But we also did talk about some of those smaller population centers where the CBC is really the only game in town, or sometimes the only independent game in town. And it is also kind of the only national voice that we have, with newspapers becoming more and more insular. So the, the question is, with all of this sort of politicization and uh, debate around how the CBC is going to be funded, one, how do we protect the unique entity that the CBC is? And two, what do we lose if we don't? I don't know. <laughs> okay. So, as a former CBCer and a longtime CBCer, and I've worked in small communities where, to your point, CBC reaches into communities across this country where a lot of media isn't. And the other benefit, of course, with the CBC, and I had this you know, I had the benefit of working in an environment where I might have been the only one in a bureau, but I knew I didn't have to go after advertising. I didn't have to worry about thinking about any of that. I could do my job. I could go out, pitch a story, look for, do my research, and know that my paycheck was there. So there is something to be said for that, that editorial freedom, the idea to be pursue journalism, and, and then, again, be out there in the communities. So, I mean, I, I do, especially radio. I look at CBC Radio, and I think, wow, that's still very vital. Yes. Um, Katie Toth, sometimes I write for Tim. This that question actually segues nicely from the whole advertising revenue thing, because, Tim, you are in many ways a business person who can, like, personally go after people when they unfairly share your content, when they copy and paste subscriber content. That is a privilege that all Nova Scotia also has. Um, it's my understanding that they will personally take down people's accounts if they're going around sharing content. So here's this very unique Atlantic Canadian model that involves this sort of like, who's your father's father? Hey, please stop doing that. You know, <laughs> please stop sharing content that doesn't belong to you kind of thing. How do we scale that up? to like an international or national model because I'm still taking my New York Times URL, putting it into Google so that I can read it without paying for it. That was awesome. <laughs> so my old Nova Scotia account that I, I, I just uh, signed up and I got a big warning as I was going through that uh, Canadian law is very clear about this. Password sharing is a crime. Uh, <laughs> I'm also aware, or I've been told, I have, it's hearsay, I don't know, that when journalists started to borrow some stuff from all Nova Scotia, they found their accounts locked. <laughs> so this is the opposite, I mean, as we were talking about this earlier, this is sort of the opposite trend. But how do you scale that? It's an interesting question. Anyone here familiar with Blacklock's Reporter? So Blacklock's Reporter, a small news outfit out of Ottawa, that uh, their journalism has shifted to A-tipping federal institutions and, and agencies to see if pe people have been improperly sharing their content and then suing them for copyright violations. So you can do an A-tip to do journalism or you can do an A-tip to run a, a lawsuit mill. And you know, maybe I'll find out about that soon because of what I just said. <laughs> it's so, I used to cover tech and copyright was a big issue and like 
proprietary protectionism of content hasn't worked so well in other fields, but it feels to me uh, crucial when you're, you're, you're locking down paywall content and, and trying to drive those subscriptions. Are you aggressive about protecting your, uh, your content? No. Um, Katie was referring to an incident last week where someone copy and pasted a whole thing in, in Facebook for some activism reasons. And I, you know, I was just kind of pissed off about it because had they simply sent me an email and said, hey, this is an issue in our town, uh, we'd like to post this, I, I probably would have taken it from behind the paywall and just put a little <laughs> thing on the bottom saying, please subscribe. But will and, that Atlantic yeah, it, etiquette scale? Um, <laughs> On the, you know, people are always asking me, "What's the future of journalism? What's the business model? What is it?" And I'm like, "I'd be mean, goddamn if I know." I mean, why the fuck are you asking me? You know, I, I'm, I, I'm just running my own little business here. You know, um, it, it, it's good to have you here, Tim. Yeah, <laughs> go, go start your own goddamn site and figure out how to do it. And, <laughs> It's really exciting that there's, I don't know, a dozen of these startups across Nova Scotia, depending on how you count them. Um, and pretty much everyone has a different business model. And that's fun. That's, that's really exciting. I mean, this is how, how we solve these problems, is, is people experiment. And that's what's going on right now. So to answer the question of the, of the podcast, is, is Atlantic Journalism fucked? Uh, my answer is no. It's a Friday night. This is a packed room in Halifax. I do not think it's fucked if people are coming out to hear us talk about news. Uh, a round of applause again for our panel and for yourselves. Thank you so much. That's your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me anytime. I am at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com and our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. This episode is produced by Russell Gregg. New episode. <laughs> Halifax's own Russell Gregg. Uh, we have a new episode of Canada Land Commons coming on Tuesday. The Imposter is out on Wednesday, Canada Land Shortcuts on Thursday. Thank you very much to Alex Ford, who did, did sound for us tonight, CKDU, the Halifax Examiner, King's College, and to everybody here in our live audience. Thank you so much. If you like what we do, please support us. We have a book coming out in May. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>